If you will, please, open your Bibles to page 1562 in your pew Bible. Today, we'll be reading from God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Page 1562 in your Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. As I start into this, there's a couple things that I need to tell you at first. Uh, number one, I did not choose these verses. Uh, this is actually an assignment given to me uh, for Dr. Charles Dunahoo's class at Metro Atlanta Seminary. And he had us do a sermon on the work of Christ. And when I turned it in, he said, Hey, Trevor, that's pretty good. You ought to let Frank, uh, you ought to tell Frank to let you preach it one day. Uh, he and Pastor Smith go way back. And so Frank, uh, Pastor Smith, has been gracious in allowing me to share this with you today. And um, so... That is where this idea comes from. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, on page 1562 of your Pew Bible. Let us read the Word of God. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. But if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them, and has not committed to us has not imputing the trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of conciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So ends the reading of God's word. Who among us has not been hurt by a friend or a loved one? 
who among us has not put up some sort of wall between themselves and another person because of the pain that was caused to you? Imagine a young boy who's earned money to buy himself a bicycle only to have a friend carelessly break it and leave it for him to earn more money and repair it himself. Or imagine a family member who constantly calls another sibling, invites them over for dinner, or pretends like you yourself do not exist. Or a boss that has given a less productive co-worker a raise, and you've been there longer, and you have not received one. Who among us has not been hurt by some sort of action as this, and there's been a wall built between ourselves and another person? Seeing how man can damage his relationship with each other, think of all the ways we have damaged our relationship with God. Every time we have used his name in vain, lusted after someone, not been thankful for his blessings, lied, or thought we didn't need his grace. Who among us has not sinned against God and given a cause for him to build a wall between us and himself? Unfortunately, sinners are so easily blind to the fact that there is damage done to our relationships with God and man, but there is good news. As we look into our text today, we will see that God has done the work of reconciliation for us. He has brought forth the means by which Christians are renewed in our relationship with both Him and man. And this is so because the reconciling work of Christ has the power to heal our relationship with God and man. In this passage, I hope today to unfold the power and completeness of Christ's reconciling work with God, with each other with the world. Trust reconciling work with God. Our passage opens with the words, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. In the opening statement of this passage, Paul starts off with a noble fact about God. He is worthy of fear. So why are we to fear the Lord? Because God is really and truly angry at sin. In Romans 1.18, the Apostle Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is directed at sin, and we as sinners are subject to His justice for our crimes against Him. Paul does not ever say the word Christian in any of his writings. To say that someone knows the fear of the Lord is saying Christian. It's taken from the Old Testament. It's someone who knows God. They understand this about God. So Paul is describing a Christian here as a God-fearer. And the fear is real because God's people have known throughout history that God really and truly punishes sin. This knowledge of God's wrath is consistent throughout Scripture. In Genesis 6, verses 11 through 13, we start to get a picture of this early on. This is before the flood of Noah. Now, I know you all know about the flood of Noah. You see the coloring books. It's got the cute little boat in there, and the animal heads are sticking out, and the kids color it, and you're like, oh, look what they did for Sunday school. And, and that's great. That is a true 
part of Noah's flood. That God, in His grace, did not only save people, but He saved animals. Well, of course, that's another story for another time. But we forget, conveniently, by looking at a picture like that, why God sent the flood. And if we look at verses 11 through 13, Moses tells us, The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence, and through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. From early times, God has revealed his judgment on the wickedness of man. Fearing God is a Christian mindset. And it is a mark of our knowledge of who God is and what we believe about him. This is a warning. There's also another warning from Paul. That we are well known to God. Paul is not saying that he is famous in the eyes of God, but rather Paul is saying that God knows his heart. God knows our hearts. It's quite possible that as Paul is writing to us here, he has Proverbs 1.7 on his mind which reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The heart is where the truth of our relationship with God lies. Our attitude about God's holiness reveals if we really truly have a relationship with God. In verse 12, we're given a description of those who don't know God as those who boast in appearance and not in heart. The Bible says a lot about the heart of man. Even when God sent the prophet Samuel out in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, to, and gave him instruction to anoint a king of Israel. God gave him these instructions. He said, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In Matthew chapter 23, 27, Jesus himself condemns those whose hearts are not truly fearful of God. He's speaking to the Pharisees there, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Now, there's nothing wrong with a new suit and tie and a big King James Bible with all the study words and study notes and all those things in it. But that is not what God looks at. It takes more than those things to be a Christian. We must really, truly have a heart that fears the Lord. Since we truly fear God, we are to persuade others of coming judgment. Look at verses 12 and 13 there. It reads, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Verse 13, 
For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we have sound mind, it is for you. Paul's saying that they live like they believe in God. That their actions are evidence of God, and even to the point of being accused of mental health issues. We are so deeply in fear of God's wrath that it drives our actions in our daily walk. And this is, this is not the only place in the scriptures where Paul is accused of madness. Not only in Corinth, but in Acts 26, you'll see that Paul is familiar with the brunt of unbelievers questioning his sanity as he preached the gospel. In Acts 26, King Agrippa was contesting Paul's preaching of the Savior. And here Luke tells us the account of Festus comment to Paul in verse 24. This is Festus talking to Paul. He says, Now, as he thus made defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, are you beside yourself? Does that sound familiar? Much learning is driving you mad. However, no matter what anyone thought of the gospel or thinks of the gospel, we are to go on living and preaching in a way that lets all know that the judgment is coming. And perhaps if we don't live like Paul, we haven't learned enough. How we convince others that we fear God is not by vain boasting of who we say we are, but by edifying one another by how we ourselves walk with the Lord. Our ways reveal our hearts to one another, and any criticisms are thwarted by our actions. got an example of this. Lately, we've been given a picture of this in the media. You all have seen where we have officials and people in political office saying, don't go to your grandparents' house. Don't go visit your neighbors. Don't go to a party. Don't go have a picnic. Because the coronavirus, it'll kill you. Now, I'm not speaking from a place of being a doctor here. I'm not saying it won't. But let me get where I'm going with this. They also tell you, stand six feet away from each other. Wear a mask. Beware of the virus. It's going to get you. But then that night, you back on that same news channel, and there's a picture of that same official rubbing elbows other people sitting at a table in a closed room, no mask, eating, partying, drinking, whatever you have. Their actions have a consequence. We start to relax about their warning. We say, hey, wait a minute. You just told us if we did what you're doing, we're going to end up sick in the hospital, maybe even dead. Is what they said to us earlier in the day, is that real? We act like that we fear God because we do fear God. Because His warnings, His judgment is real. In verses 14 and 15, we see another attribute of God that Paul knows. And it was, it's what compels him to live the way he does. We read, For the love of Christ 
compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them arose again. God's love is the reason why we are to live the way we do. It's the love of God that sent his son to reconcile a fallen and sinful mankind unto himself. It's God's love that sent Christ to die, to atone for man's sins. It's Christ's death that reconciles us to God. And it's his work that we are no longer alienated from God and will no longer be the subject of his wrath. And that's the power of Christ's work on the cross. Through that, we are completely reconciled to God. Paul was reconciled to God because Jesus died for him. Paul knew that Jesus died for him, and it's because Jesus died for him that his heart was well known to God. We've all had reasons not to share the truth of God's anger towards sinners. We're challenged by the world of atheism, political correctness, but sometimes even our employment situations, they don't want us to do that. But no matter what we are told and challenged with from the world, we must continue to live and share the truth of God's coming wrath. We must tell them that God reconciled us to himself through his son's sacrifice in order to satisfy his own divine justice. If we do not live in order to share our faith with the unbeliever, that we are not living from the love of God or from the fear of God, but for the love of and the fear of man. And it's here in this passage that we see Paul start to shift his focus, not just how we reconcile to God, but how we reconcile with fellow man. In verse 16, we see it says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul is giving us the grounds for having a new understanding of each other. Because Christ has reconciled us to God, we're now to look at one another through the lens of reconciliation. In Ephesians 4.23, Paul directs us to how we would have this new mindset about all things and how we're to look at each other on a spiritual level. He writes, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That is, your new mindset and your salvation should change your understanding of everything. This flipping of the switch in our mindset is given to us in the old example here in verse 16. Paul continues, Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we now yet know Him thus no longer. Just as we no longer see Christ as He was here on earth, we still clearly see Him as He is now, our risen Lord and Savior. Because of this, we are to see one another as we now see Jesus, a resurrected person. Though it has not yet been done, we have the promise of resurrection in Christ. Think of an old house that you pass that has recently had much work done to it. It's the same house, but because there is work really truly done to it, you don't see it as the same way you did before. That old house is now a new house. We are to see each other as God now sees us in Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle John writes, He, that is Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. 
That is, we are now covered by the blood of Christ, redeemed by this blood, and our sin debt has been paid. You see, this is how God now sees us. Romans 3.25, Paul even expands on this. He says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Yes, sins committed really truly by us. And it is in the same way that we are to view one another, covered by the blood of Christ and redeemed, and their former sins are no more. Paul seals this whole thought up in a beautiful sentence here. In verse 17 of this chapter on that day, he says, We see that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new again. There's a well-known story about St. Augustine. Many of you have heard of him. He was an early writer in the church history. Two famous books, The City of God and Confessions. He spoke openly about his life before becoming Christian. He is very much loved to live in the moment and spend that time with the ladies like him do not care to maintain dignity behind closed doors outside of marriage. After his conversion one day, one of these women sees him and starts calling for him by name, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And as he starts to run down the street away from her, he yells back, but it is not I. The old Augustine is dead, and I am now a new creature in Christ Jesus. The former Augustine would have turned around and went to her. But the new Augustine has been resurrected to a new life that leads him to run away from the temptations of the world. Covered in the blood of Christ, Augustine is to be seen and reconciled to God and to his fellow Christians. This moment in time is a wonderful example of the truth of Paul's statement. In verse 18, Paul says, Now our things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. This new life that the believer has given is a gift from God, and being that it's through Jesus, we can trust that it is real, and it is our Savior himself participates in this gift of new life. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul expands on this by writing, Being confident by this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Though we have not yet been glorified, that is, completing our transmission from the old self into a new body that is glorified in heaven, the guarantee is in. Though we ourselves are not yet completing this work, Christ being complete in this promise is a guarantee that we can all count on. Notice that because we have been reconciled to God through Christ, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And I have to admit, this is a hard one for me. Forgiveness and pardoning of one another's sins is a shining example of Christ's work in the church. As we have been forgiven by God, we too are to exercise this ministry of reconciliation. In the Gospel of Matthew, 
we see that the ministry of reconciliation is evidence of someone who himself is reconciled to God. In Matthew 18, verses 21-35, we see Jesus instructing Peter in this ministry of reconciliation. Starting in verse 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him, owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Notice that last word. Those who do not practice this ministry of reconciliation will suffer the judgment of God. We are to act toward those who offend us in the way we want God to act toward us. Maybe you're someone who knows that you've been forgiven of many sins or wondering if there are those in the church who know about the old you but you don't know if they will accept or believe the new you. Or maybe you know someone's deep dark past and are not able to trust that they are redeemed. Or maybe you're someone who has either offended or been directly offended by someone's sins in the church. Either way, we're to be the example of reconciliation as is our ministry through Christ. We're to see, to reconcile those to ourselves and ourselves to those who are covered in the blood of Christ. <coughs> It's very possible that one day through those church doors, right there, someone will walk in who has committed a grievous sin. And even publicly for that matter. And they may have been excommunicated from their church and shunned by the people of that congregation. And they may not be walking back there or anywhere, no matter what they do. What are they supposed to do if they have been feeling the wrath of God for that sin every day since they committed that sin. 
many years could have passed and, and they have been on their knees before God with fear, wanting to be reconciled to Him and wanting to return to His people. And the whole time, while the church has been rejecting Him, the Lord has been calling out to them, I obeyed the law for you. I died for you. I rose again for you. Now go, be reconciled to my people. Gather with them and worship me. What are we supposed to do as a body? The love of Christ is to compel us to reconcile with those who Jesus died for and truly feared the Lord. Christ's work reconciles us with God and reconciles us with man and has the power to reconcile the world to himself. In verse 19 we see God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. As Paul points out the power of Christ's work of reconciliation is able to reconcile the world to God. It was God the Father's plan as he was in God the Son, and bringing the world into reconciliation. Paul may be reflecting on the words of Christ in John 10, 38, where Jesus said, I am the Father, and the Father, and the Father is in me. Although God is angry with sin, out of his love, he was in the work, in unison with the Son, bringing a people to himself. God's love and reconciling a people to himself leads to God the Father, not imputing their trespasses to them. That is, not ascribing, not attributing, not attaching their sins to them. God is not counting our sins toward us. This work that He and the Son did reconciles sinners in a way that He does not hold our sins against us and count it as part of who we are. In the Old Testament, we see the promise of this plan. God's forgiveness is by His choice and the promise of Christ's work Fulfilling this brings us to the realization that it's through Christ alone. Christ alone. That brings sinners to himself. In Micah 7.19 it is written that he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God cast our sins to the depths of the sea. It is through Christ alone that the promise of reconciliation is completed and God chooses to forgive our sins and not <coughs> count them against us. Because we've been given the gift of reconciliation, God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It is us, the church, who have been given the truth of God's work to bring sinners to himself. There is no other word that will bring men to God except the gospel of Christ. In verse 20, Paul writes, Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. And you know what an ambassador is. There's somebody that represents a nation or something, and they go out and uh, work with another uh, different nation or body. In this case, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and we're going out into the world. And it says, Though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are the ones sent out into the other nation. The nation does not know our Savior King. 
to tell them the work he did to bring us into his kingdom. No matter who we are with and where we happen to be, we are always on duty as an ambassador of Christ. You never know what the loving act of sharing God's truth may do for someone. Dylan Novak <laughs> is a man who has a reputation for sharing the gospel with celebrities. Names like Donald Trump, James Taylor, are people that he's approached and reached out with the truth. What he does is he gets to know the person that likes and prepares a little gift basket or bag put stuff they like in it along with the Bible and some tracts and things and approaches them and shares the gospel with them. Novak believes that celebrities are often brought up in non-Christian homes. They're often sheltered by fans and their handlers that keeps them from wrestling with their own sins. Steven Tyler is one of the celebrities that Novak shared the gospel with. If you all know, Tyler is the singer for the rock band Aerosmith. You can go look the map afterwards if you... And after sharing the gospel with Stephen Tyler, Novak heard from an insider in uh, uh, the in crowd there in Smith that the encounter had actually left an impact on Tyler. Tyler pulled the Bible out of the bag on the plane and showing it to the insider. The insider asked if he was really going to read it. And he said this was the singer who replied to him. He said, well, of course. If he took the time to find me and give this to me and pull all this together for me, I'm definitely going to look at it. Who knew that just a few minutes with a celebrity would have such an impact? No, Novak probably thought of Tyler in a way that no one else had before. Although it was noble to go to other countries and share the gospel, which is what we think about when we're missionaries and being ambassadors, the nation of unbelievers is actually all around us. We have family members, neighbors, even the cashier at your favorite convenience store. We have daily opportunities to serve Jesus as an ambassador for his kingdom. Now, baby, you're someone who is shy or unsure of your ability to stand up to debate, or you're just not sure what to say. There's comfort in this passage for us sharing the gospel because the power is not in us. In our passage, we find comfort in these words, as though God were pleading through us. No matter what challenges we may face in our duty to share the reconciling work of Christ and truth, God is working through us. He can fill all those weaknesses we have and use it to bring his people to him. In the last verse, verse 21, Paul tells us the message we are to bring to the world. For he made him who knew no sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Though our sins are not imputed to us, they were imputed to Christ to be judged on the cross. It's very important to remember this fact, though, that though Christ bore our sins on the cross, it did not pollute him. Not one bit. With faith in Christ comes his righteousness being imputed to us. His righteousness is attached to us, counted to us. As ambassadors of God's truth, we bring a message of forgiveness of sin because God the Son was judged on our behalf. It is our duty as ambassadors to bring the work of Christ into the world 
And we are to share the gospel with all and let them know that the gift of God the Father has given God the Son to bring them to reconciliation with God. In our passage today, we see that Christ's work of reconciliation is powerful and it's complete. His work reconciles our relationship with God and our fellow man. And as we realize that we are sinners in need of Christ's saving work, we ourselves not only become repenters, but also repairers. As we are led to repentance and are reconciled to God, we in return work to be reconciled with one another and spread the reconciliation, the message of reconciliation in Christ to the world. This begs a few final questions that I want to leave you with today. Are we, like Paul, whose sins were paid for by the death of Christ? Were your sins put upon Jesus on the cross in order that you may be reconciled to God? Do you know this because you are a fearer of an almighty God who punishes the sinner? When those who mock his ways tell you, No, man, don't go to church today. Do something fun with me. Or come on, man, come to this club with me. Those church people, they won't know you're in there. Do you join them in disbelieving and not fear God? Are you more concerned with putting up a wall between yourself and them, this mocker of God, or putting a wall between yourself and God? Or do you show to them at that moment in time you're a God-fearer, you're a Christian, and you say to them, No! God knows my heart, and he will know if I go in there. Don't you know that he judges sinners for their sins and punishes them? Haven't you heard what he did to the wickedness of man in the days of Noah? Come and follow me in the fear of Almighty God and be reconciled to him, Christ. Let us pray.